Amen. Let's remain standing for our scripture reading this morning from the book of Galatians. A very small passage, so let's read this together aloud from the board. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, that song, I Need You, so encapsulates encapsulates every cry of every Christian's heart. How much we need you for every moment of the day to live a life that is pleasing and godly to you, to live a life that is full of peace and joy, to live a life that is free from the entanglements of life and sin and the idolatries of of so many things, of of, uh, everything that we would place in the way of you. Father, right now we are a nation in turmoil, a city in confusion, uh, uh, as the kingdoms of man typically are when we forsake you. And so, Father, I pray that the churches, first of all, for Calvary Baptist Church, but also our churches, to be a beacon of clarity, to be a beacon of truth. Lord, that the churches that preach the truth and teach the truth will not be ashamed of the gospel, but we will rise up and say that there is another kingdom. And though the kingdoms of man, all of them, including the United States, one day will fall, Your kingdom will last forever and ever. You have a dominion that will never end. You have a power that is unlimited. And you are working everything out, Lord. You are the one who sets kings upon their thrones. You are the one who leads all nations to their ultimate conclusion that will be to the glory and praise of your righteous name. Every tongue will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. So I pray even now, Lord, that we would do this before that day. That we would call upon people to repent and believe in the gospel so that they are not waiting until it is too late to bow before you. But even now, Lord, every day we are bowing our heads and acknowledging our need of you. And through your empowerment, which is the only way we can, we are living lives that are both pleasing and glorifying to you, edifying to us. And Lord, it is working toward the expansion of your kingdom as people see our lives and they want to hear the gospel. So Father, to that end this day, help us to walk in the spirit. Help us to understand how to do that. Give us practical guidance through your spirit this morning that we may please you in every aspect of our lives. Move me aside so that your word will do its work in each and every one of us. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for all your wonderful singing this morning. It's, I wish you could hear what we hear up here. It's just a, it's just a wonderful, it's just so wonderful to hear the, the voices of God's people being lifted up together 
to sing his praises and to sing his truths. And, and so you are the choir. The, the choir is not up here. You're the choir. They're the worship leaders. Uh, God is the audience. And so we are so thankful that God has given us a church that recognizes that and, and you sing together. And so we are in Galatians chapter five, once again, in the practical argument, the practical section of Galatians. We've seen the historical argument, which is essentially Paul's testimony. We've seen the theological argument, which is uh, uh, dealing with how the Old Testament uh, reveals the true gospel and the covenant. And now he's showing us how to live out that gospel every day. And so we're seeing through the book of Galatians that only the gospel can actually produce righteousness in our lives. Uh, We don't become righteous by following rules. We don't become righteous by following traditions or anything like that. We become righteous only through the gospel because it is the power of the spirit living within us that produces that righteousness within us. And we're seeing that more and more. But, and again, as I said last week, that is a wonderful comfort, but it does not alleviate our responsibilities. It removes our fear, but it does not remove our responsibility. There's still a role that we play in sanctification. There is still a role, a responsibility that we have. And so we do find commandments in the scriptures that God expects us to obey. And through the power of the Spirit, we do so. And so we're going to look at one of those commands this morning. And really, this command really controls the rest of the book. So if you're underlining or outlining your book of Galatians, or if you have one of the scripture journals for Galatians, and, uh, and you're working your way through it as we work our way through it, uh, you definitely want to underline verse um, 16, because that really controls the rest of the book and everything that we're going to say. In, uh, how many of you guys have ever been to Pikes Peak before? A couple of you? Okay. Well, do you remember the old cog rail that used to go up Pikes Peak? Uh, they've replaced it now with a cable car. But back in the day, there was an old cog rail. Well, they've taken that down, which judging by the old track, you know, thankfully. But, um, but now the old cog rail, cog rail tracks are still there. And you can actually hike up the mountain uh, with the, on those tracks. It's referred to as the incline and it's uh, just right outside of Manitou Springs and you can climb your way all the way up Pikes Peak. And one of the stupidest things I've ever done in my life is I attempted that one time. It was not fun. That, that thing is a beast. And, and as I was trying to get up, man, I, I mean, there were people like literally running past me and I've never wanted to hit somebody so bad in my lifetime as what I did that day. And, and, and when we were coming down this mountain, uh, people were running down and I, I honestly, in my flesh, I honestly wanted to trip them. I was, I was that, I was that angry about this. And so every single step was this agonizing step leading to the top of the mountain. And I felt every single one of them. And the, the guy that was with me, he was a friend of mine named Steve. He was with me and, uh, and he was just encouraging me along. He did this just about every weekend, I think. And so uh, he was encouraging me along as I was dying. And, uh, and he, and at one point trying to encourage me, he said, Randy, look back, look back and see how far you've come. And I, and I looked back and sure enough, I was probably at about 10,000 feet and just seeing how far I had come had, 
had really kind of inspired me and really kind of uh, helped me to say, okay, maybe I can make it up the rest of the way. And I was, I was really encouraged at that point until I took the next step. But don't, don't ever do the incline. It's, it's a fool's errand. But anyway, I, I bring that up because Paul commands us in this scripture to walk by the Spirit. In fact, you could say that Galatians chapter five is really the Holy Spirit chapter of Galatians. He's mentioned in verse five, in verse 16 here, verse 17 and 18. He's, men- he's gonna be mentioned again in verse 22 and he's gonna be mentioned again in verse 25. Through the Spirit, we are waiting for our hope. We are to walk by the Spirit. Uh, we see the desires of the Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit. And we are to live by the Spirit. This chapter details some of the most precious truths that affect our day-to-day, everyday life. But in all these mentions of the Spirit, there's only one command. And that is here in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. And this command is so important that he's actually gonna repeat it again at the end of the chapter where he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So that that command kind of bookends this entire section. And that means that it's important. It's something that we need to uh, take notice of. What does it mean? Well, you know, in the book of, in in the Hebrew, um, uh, walking is is kind of a symbol. It's kind of a metaphor for living, living your life and and it's, and it's really, a, it's really a, a really good picture of what life is like. It's a good description. It's a vivid picture. Because first of all, we talk about the pace of life. You know, when I climbed Pikes Peak, every step seemed like an eternity. But at one point when I looked back and saw how far I had come, for some reason it seemed kind of short. It seemed like it really hadn't been that long, right? And I think we can all testify in here except maybe the teenagers, that life kind of works like that. That days are long, but years are short. Days are long, but decades are even shorter. And decades are long, but multiple decades are even shorter than that. At some point, you find yourself thinking, oh, I've got plenty of days, I've got plenty of time coming up, but then one day you look back and you wonder, where's all the time gone And you haven't done all the things that you needed to do, needed to say. It also talks about destination in our life. We're all going somewhere. Just like when you're walking, you're going somewhere. And your destination in life, you are going somewhere. There is a destination. But I think one reason why the Hebrews also talked about it was because there's also a sense of progress involved, that, that you are working towards something. And how do you make it toward that thing? How do you make it toward that destination? You don't do it in two or three leaps. You do it step by step. I did not jump up Pike's Peak in two or three leaps. I wish I did, but I did not. Instead, the way I got up Pikes Peak was one agonizing step after another. And that really speaks to how we progress in life. Uh, The truth is, you know, in the church, we tend to emphasize the big decisions. We tend to emphasize the big moments in life where, where we come to this point of crisis and we rededicate right here and now this once and for all absolute surrender But how many of us have made big decisions in life, maybe at camp or maybe at a revival, and then you went home and you got back in your routine and that big decision died the death of a thousand tiny decisions that took you the other way? 
We've all experienced that, haven't we? Because the truth is, is that life is not lived in two or three big decisions. Life is lived in the small moments of the day. It is lived in the small decisions. Our lives are the culmination of 1,000, thousands, even even millions of small day-to-day decisions that we make throughout the course of our life. We think that we often think that they're insignificant, but the truth is is that they are very significant, and the reason why they're so significant is because they are small, not because they are big. Life is the culmination of millions of these tiny decisions. And it's in those decisions, those little moments of the day, that Paul commands us, walk by the Spirit. Every single day, every moment of the day, every decision of the day, these are the moments that are so important that we walk by the Spirit. And why is that? Well, we're going to see three different aspects of it here in Verse 16, when we walk by the Spirit, number one, we're going to have confidence. We're going to have confidence. Look at the rest of the verse. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. This is an amazing statement. And it's very important, extremely important. You see, because we don't avoid sin by following rules, we avoid sin by walking in the Spirit. This is amazing. You say, well, Randy, doesn't there have to be rules? Of course there is. But can you follow those rules in your pride? Yes, you can. Can you follow those rules in judgmentalism? Yes, you can. Guys, let's face it. When it comes to following the law, no one was ever better at it than the Pharisees. And look what Jesus said to them. And so the way we avoid sin is not by following commands or rules, but by walking by the Spirit. And we're going to say more about that in a moment. But Paul commands that when we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out or or better understood, gratify the desire of the flesh. That means that you are free when you walk by the Spirit. And where's Paul getting this? Why do we have this confidence? Because you see, the new covenant was actually promised back in the Old Testament. This is Paul's first letter. And because it's his first letter, he's getting his theology from the Old Testament. And when we look at the Old Testament, what we find is the promise of the Spirit. And I want to show you this real quick. Turn back to Ezekiel chapter 36 for just a moment. And you'll probably want to put your ribbon there because we're going we're to come back here a couple of times. But Ezekiel chapter 36, and I don't have this on the board, so you might want to write it down or look it up. This is the most precious promise of the New Testament, of the new covenant. And and in verse 24, here's what he says. He says, for I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. This is a This is a promise that the church is going to be a multinational gathering of God's people. It's not just going to be the Jews. It's going to be uh, multiple nationalities. It's going to be made up of every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And look what he says in verse uh, 25. Then I will sprinkle you clean. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. There's forgiveness. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He makes us a new creation. 
And then in verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you. So in verse 25, he forgives our sins. In verse 26, he makes us a new creation. And in verse 28, excuse me, verse 27, he says, I will put my spirit within you. This means that everyone who believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within them. Everyone. At the moment of conversion, we are forgiven, we are transformed into a new creation, and we are made a literal walking temple of the Holy Spirit. We are, we are the presence of the Holy Spirit is within his church. That's why this building is not the temple anymore. We, the people, are the temple because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Do what you want to this building. Shut it down. Uh, take it. Burn it. Whatever anyone wants to do to it. They cannot destroy the temple because the temple is in the church. And so we have this presence and we're confident that we have it. So therefore, in lieu of his presence, we have the power of the spirit within us. We have the power of the spirit at our disposal. Look what he goes on and says in verse 27 of Ezekiel. I will put my spirit within you. and, And what will happen as a result of that? And cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This is built into the new covenant so that what does the spirit accomplish when he comes to indwell in us? He causes us to walk in his statutes and we are careful. It doesn't remove the responsibility. We are still careful to observe his commandments. And so we see both sovereignty and free will side by side together. We see divine accomplishment and human responsibility side by side. That I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to obey my commands. Paul is confident that when we are walking by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desire of the flesh because that is the promise that God has made to us. We have the promise and we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Every believer has everything they need for righteousness. Beloved, this morning, you have everything you need to be righteous before God in the gospel. Do you believe that? First Peter chapter, excuse me, second Peter chapter one, verse three. Here's what Peter says. He says, his divine power is granted to us. How many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence. Beloved, you have everything you need for righteousness in the gospel. God has given you everything you need, not only to go to heaven, but to live a life that pleases God here. There are no haves and have nots in God's kingdom. There are not those who are more spiritual or less spiritual. The newest, most untaught believer at the moment of his or her conversion has at his help and at his disposal, he has been given all the divine resources of heaven. He has everything he needs. 
Can you, I mean, the power for holy and righteous living does not come from rules or regulations, but it comes from the Holy Spirit of God living within us. That's where the power comes from. Can you imagine how insulting it must be for God who has spared nothing to save an individual who has given all the riches and power of heaven only to have a legalist come along and say, oh, that's not enough. You, you need my help. Stand aside, God. Uh, I'm gonna help this one. Let me ask you a question. What if someone did that to you about your child? How insulted would you be, right? Especially when, quite frankly, the one who doesn't hasn't done too good of a job with their own And so how insulting is that? So imagine how insulted God must be when he has spared no riches of heaven to save you only to have a legalist come along and say, "Uh, God, this one's too much trouble. Uh, I'm gonna step in here and you just take the day off in this one. How insulting that must be. Those who are attempting to be holy by any other means other than the Holy Spirit have a false confidence. They have a false hope. They have pride. They have arrogance. But they do not have righteousness. And so we have confidence, true confidence in the Holy Spirit. This is how we conquer sin, live holy and righteous lives. But that doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean it's easy. See, because when we walk in the Spirit, we're going to have conflict. We're going to have conflict. Look in verse 17 back in our text in Galatians. He says, walk in the spirit. Why? For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul is explaining why it is so crucial that we walk in the spirit, why we need this command in the first place. Because the truth is every believer is locked in a battle, a spiritual battle. It is a battle that is, is not true of unbelievers. Now, unbelievers may have, uh, you know, like a, a tinge of conscience every now and then. They may be afflicted or some crisis of conscience or something like that, but they have nothing like what Paul is describing here. Paul is describing that, that there is a, it's different for believers and we've all experienced this. We know or, or wish that we had done something that the spirit desires, but we were halted by the flesh. We've all experienced that, haven't we? And, and I pray that we've all experienced that there were times that we wanted to sin, that we were tempted to sin and our flesh truly wanted something, but the spirit comes in and helps us and, and we end up not doing it and praise the Lord for those times. And, and we've all had those times too, Right? But we are locked in a spiritual battle. Same with the flesh, same with the spirit. And the question is, where does this battle come from? Well, Paul tells us here that it is from competing desires. It's from competing desires. You see, we as Christians, part of this wonderful promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is that he gives us new desires, He gives us desires to follow and please and worship God. He gives us desires for the things of God. Uh, For most of us, just turn one page over to Galatians chapter four, verse six. And we see something of this in verse six. Because you are sons, God sent forth his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, there is a desire that the Spirit has living within us that longs for intimate fellowship with God. 
Every believer has this. To please God. To glorify God. Just as Jesus did whenever he was walking on the earth incarnate, now the spirit is on the earth indwelling us, desiring to do the same thing that Jesus did when he was here. Every believer has this. But every believer also still lives in our unredeemed humanness. Every believer still has the indwelling and remaining sin from our old nature. Bible uses different terms to talk about it. Uses the term the flesh that Paul's talking about here. It's that remaining sin principle within us. Sometimes he calls it the old nature or the old man. But it's the desires of our old nature that are still very much a part of us. Very much a part of us. The spirit longs to please and enjoy fellowship with God. The flesh longs to indulge in the sin of our flesh. And these two desires are, are locked in constant battle, aren't they? We've all experienced this. Locked in constant battle. They are in opposition to each other. It is impossible for a truce. Kind of like our political parties right now. There seems to be complete impossibility of truce, right? Well, it's the flesh and the spirit. It's the same thing that it does in us. I'm not gonna comment on which one compares to which, but... The, uh, but it's the same thing in us. The flesh and the spirit are incapable of truth. They are incapable of compromise. They are constantly locked into battle with each other to the extent that Paul says, so that you may not do the things that you please. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that we have a constant decision that we have to make, a constant decision. See, there are times when the flesh wants to indulge and you really want to indulge in the flesh, but, but the spirit comes along and, ha- and, and halts you. He stops you so that you do not do the thing that you please, right? Praise the Lord for that. But there's also times when the spirit is calling us, spirit is nudging us, uh, prompting us to do something. And then the flesh comes along and it stops us so that we do not do what we please, the flesh overrides the spirit through, through fear or just pure disobedience or I think his most effective weapon, sometimes just outright distraction. There's something we wanna do for the spirit of God, but then we're distracted by something else and the next thing you know, the whole week has gone by and you never did it. We all know what that's like, don't we? We've done that, we've done that. Doesn't, it, it, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. It makes you human, beloved. It makes you a believer. It doesn't make you a bad church member. It means that you're weak in your flesh, just like all of us are. When we're in the flesh, we're weak. It distracts us. It, 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 it causes us to go different things and do different things other than what God may be prompting us to do. But one way or the other, whether it is the desires of the spirit or whether it is the desires of the flesh, you and I are constantly yielding to one or the other, constantly. And we will either yield to the flesh or we will yield to the spirit. So we have a constant decision to make. You know, a lot of your modern Christian teaching on sanctification today, I'm gonna gonna kind of run up against it. it. It started in Keswick, England, and it was made popular in the United States by men like D.L. Moody and C.I. Schofield. 
And what this, what this theology says is that you ask Jesus into your sa- to be your savior and he's your savior, but then there comes a later point in life where you're carnal right now, but then there's some crisis, maybe it's a church camp or maybe it's a revival, where you finally give a once and for all surrender to God, you're completely surrendered to God, and that's when he makes you holy or spiritual. It's kind of a, it's kind of a second blessing, if you will. Now, they're not Wesleyans. They don't say that he removes the sin nature completely. They don't say that. But what they do say is that your struggle with sin is less intense. You know, if you've ever prayed, Lord, I'm struggling with this, just take it away. Or if you've ever surrendered, if, if you've ever been at a camp where maybe you're at one of these camps where you write down your sin on the piece of paper and you throw it into the campfire and that's your giving it to God, right? That's where all that comes from. That's where all that comes from, from that theology. It says, when you give your absolute surrender to God, then you don't struggle with sin as intensely anymore. Still there, it's just not as intense. Just let go and let God. That was kind of their, that was kind of their rally cry back 100 years ago. You're living in victory now. You're living the victorious Christian life. But beloved, in this text, Paul doesn't give us any kind, of sec- any kind of special technique or second blessing that tells us that the opposition goes away. The opposition's gonna be there. As long as we are in the flesh, we're gonna struggle with sin. As long as we're in the flesh, there, there is no passive once and for all absolute surrender other than conversion. And so... This passage makes it clear that, that Christian holiness is not simply a matter of passive surrender. It's it, it, giving it to God. The spirit-led life is a life of conflict. The old ways of the flesh versus the new ways of the spirit, there is no shortcut. But beloved, praise God, there is victory. There is victory. Victory is always possible because the more we yield to the Spirit, the more the Spirit works in us to make His desires stronger than the flesh. The opposite is also true. The more we yield to the flesh, the more our flesh and the desires of the flesh become stronger and stronger and stronger so that we become locked into it. The more we act on his desire, most importantly, in those small moments, those small decisions in life that add up to a lifetime, the more we yield to the spirit in those moments, the more his desires will become dominant in our hearts. And that's what we want. That's what we're aiming for. Romans chapter six, which is the, if you want to understand sanctification, you need to know this chapter. Romans chapter six and verse 19, it says, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity when you were lost and to to lawlessness, and watch this, resulting in further lawlessness. See See the progression there. That the more we yield to the flesh, the more it increases our desires to yield to the flesh. In the same way we do that, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. In all of those little moments of the day, we have a decision to make. Do we yield to the spirit or do we yield to the flesh? This is vital. We've got to understand this. If we want to live, the more, and, and by the way, just look one page over from Galatians and verse eight. 
And there's an immediate context here, but the principle is the same. For the one who sows to his own flesh will, reap, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What we're sowing to is what we'll reap from. The law of sowing and reaping, that's a general principle. And so you need to understand this. Yes, in the Christian life is conflict, but there is also hope. Yes, we can honestly sing victory in Jesus. That's a great song, isn't it? We can honestly sing that song. Why? Because we're not in this conflict alone. We're not in this battle alone. We see in verse 18, finally, we see our companion. In verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, it's essentially the same thing as walking by the Spirit. Essentially the same thing. But being led by the Spirit, what, that, what, what, I think he's in, what I think he's specifically pointing out to here is that when we are led by the Spirit, it is what we do when the desires within us produced by the Spirit are stronger than the desires produced by our flesh. In other words, the Christian life, it, it, listen, it's not hard. The Christian life is not easy. The Christian life is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. We simply can't do it. Not without grace. Not without empowerment. Not without help. And so the Spirit indwells us. And when we get to a point to where His desires are, are more dominant than the desires of the flesh, we're being led by the Spirit. We are spiritual. We are spiritual people. It's the same thing as being filled by the Spirit. You know, oftentimes when we think of being filled by the Spirit, we think of kind of an empty cup and we take a glass of water and we fill it up like that, right? That's, that's not really what that's talking about. You notice phrases in the Bible where it talks about being filled with anger, being filled with indignation, all those kinds of things. You know, what's it talking about there? It's talking about the controlling influence, Right, so, so, and even in that passage, it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're drunk with wine, what's the number one controlling influence in your life? The wine, the drunkenness, right? Paul's, Paul's comparing the Spirit to that. Don't be controlled by wine, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit be the controlling influence in your life and in your actions. Put off the old nature. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new nature, which is created after Christ Jesus for good works. We will always act according to our strongest desires. There's a reason I do not eat Brussels sprouts. Yes, I want to be healthy, but my desire to not taste Brussels sprouts is stronger than my desire to be healthy. So I act according to my strongest desire, and that's a lame illustration. But, but the truth is, is that we always act according to our greatest desire. I want to be healthy, my taste buds want a donut. <laughs> which, ones, which one do I do? I think it's pretty obvious. So we are spiritual when the Spirit's desires are stronger in us than our fleshly desires, when we're feeding the Spirit's desires. Beloved, when you've got a dog fight happening in your life, and which dog wins? 
the one you feed more. The one that gets fed is the dog that wins. Paul says that when this is true, we are no longer under the law. It's an amazing promise. And here's the thing. People debate as to what he's talking about here. There's two options, quite frankly. I don't think you have to decide. I think they're both true. Number one is that when you're being led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. That is that you are, you are saved. You are no longer under the penalty of the law. But I think, there's another, I think there's another aspect there too, is that you're no longer under the law's power when you're being led by the Spirit. Let me tell you what I mean by that. That means that you don't really feel the pinch of the law anymore. You don't really feel the, the pull and the pressure of the law anymore. And the reason why is because all the principles of the law that Christ wants you to obey when you're being led by the Spirit, they're things you want to do anyway. They're things you want to do anyway. Not, it doesn't feel like obeying a command when it's stuff you want to do regardless, right? I tried to come up with an example of this and I, tried, I racked my brain all week to try to come up with a better one, but I just couldn't. So here it is. You know, I don't smoke, right? I know some of you do. I'm not saying anything about that, but I don't smoke. And so when I go to a restaurant and I see a big sign that says no smoking, does that sign apply to me? Well, yeah, it does. I'm not allowed to smoke when I go in that restaurant, but here's the thing. I don't want to anyway. So that law is no big deal to me. I don't care. I just go in. I don't care because I don't smoke. All that rule is telling me to do something that I don't want to do anyway. And that's how it works when we're led by the Spirit. That when God commands us to do something, all He's doing is commanding us to do something that we want to do anyway because the Spirit's desires are now stronger than the desires of our flesh. That's how it works. And that, beloved, is freedom. That is freedom. That is what we saw earlier in the chapter, faith working through love. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. So I'm running a little late. So let me, let me just give you some practical guides here. How do we walk by the Spirit? What does it look like every day? Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to be born again. You cannot live by the Spirit if you are not in the Spirit. And beloved, if, this, if you're not feeling this opposition within you, if you're not feeling this, this struggle within you, then it might be something you need to check on. You might need to ask yourself why. I'm not saying you're not saved, but maybe you've been Maybe you've been indulging the flesh too long to where you don't even feel, you've seared your conscience, which is how the word describes it. Maybe you need to ask why. Romans chapter eight, verse nine says that if you do not have the spirit, you are not of Christ. The only way we are spiritual is when we are in the spirit of God. So you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. If you're, uh, the flesh can only produce flesh. The Spirit produces Spirit. John chapter three. But number two, we must, uh, from 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we must pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. 
You know, it, it make, prayer, among other things, prayer makes you more sensitive to the Spirit's guidance. It makes you more sensitive to the Spirit's leading. And, you know, and often when we talk about praying and having a prayer life, what we think of is spending an hour a day, two hours a day in prayer. You know, the famous Martin Luther quote, uh, I'm so busy, there's no way I could get everything done unless I spend the first three hours in prayer with God. Uh, you know, and we hear stuff like that and we think, oh, you know, that's how you have to have an effective prayer life. Bible never says that. If you can do it, great, but Bible never says that. You know, uh, some dietitians will tell you instead of, spending, instead of eating three big meals a day, just to eat more meals a day that are smaller. Eat smaller meals more times a day. Now, I don't know if that's, you know, healthy. I don't know, I'm not a dietitian, so I can't speak to that. But I will tell you this, that's a pretty good plan for prayer. Don't worry about spending an hour in prayer a day. Pray a lot. Just make them shorter. Pray like Nehemiah did. Lord, help me. Uh, You know, throughout the day, just pray shorter prayers. But pray without ceasing. And as you do, you'll find yourself becoming more and more sensitive to the Spirit. And along those lines, here's uh, another practical thing. You know, the Puritans referred to it as holy unctions. Uh, I refer to it as prompts. But when you get a unction from the Spirit, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. You know, uh, if you suddenly get a thought to pray for someone, don't hesitate. If you think that, you know, I haven't talked to someone in a long time, for some reason they're on my mind today, maybe I should give them a call. Don't hesitate. Don't do that. You know, I haven't seen so-and-so. I don't know, so-and-so's on my mind today. I should go by and see them. Don't, don't ignore that. And by the way, don't expect anything big on the other end. You know, you're not, it, it may not be something huge and dramatic when you get to the other side. They, they may be like, you know, well, hey, I'm, I'm glad to see you. Nothing's really going on, but I'm, I'm glad to see you anyway. You know, at best, you're just getting a little bit of fellowship. That's okay, But don't ignore those unctions. Don't ever ignore a Holy Spirit prompt to prayer. Don't do it. And then finally, know the scriptures. Know the scriptures. You know, sometimes we think the Holy Spirit is speaking to us when he's really not. Maybe it's, you know, that pizza we ate last night or something like that. I mean, it's hard to know sometimes. The only time we know 100% sure when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us is when he's doing so through his word. That's the only time we are 100% sure. So learn the scriptures. That's why we have the Institute for Church Leadership here at the church. It's not to turn us into a college. It's so that you will know the scriptures. Meditate on the scriptures, learn the scriptures, memorize the scriptures, know them, sing biblical songs, not songs that, that sacrifice biblical truth for a, for a pleasing melody. Sing biblical songs, biblical truth, and power, and plant those things in your mind. Because beloved, if you are being tempted to sin and the Holy Spirit rushes into your heart and, and to try to stop you from sinning, and yet all he has to work with is John 3.16, I mean, that's a great verse, but it's not gonna help you in every situation. Give him, give the Holy Spirit an arsenal to work with 
when you need the Holy Spirit's guidance, when he comes into your heart to help you, let him find an arsenal of scripture and biblical truth to work with. When he comes in to help you, don't, don't let him just find John 3.16 or, or John 11, Jesus wept. <laughs> don't let him just find that. Give him, give him, give him an army of biblical truth to work with. Learn the scriptures, pray the scriptures, meditate upon the scriptures, memorize the scriptures, sing the scriptures. Give the spirit every tool he needs to lead you into godliness. Beloved, walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths. And Lord, I pray this morning as we come to this end, I pray that perhaps there is someone here that has recognized that they don't really have a struggle of holiness inside of them. Maybe they've been living in the arrogance of pride or maybe, maybe they're not truly converted. Father, may today be the day that you draw them to yourself. And Lord, today, if there's someone here that maybe they've been feeding the flesh for so long, Lord, may today be the day that the Spirit breaks through and says, I'm still here. Start sowing to me instead. And you'll live the life of godliness that'll praise our Lord. Lord, I pray that whatever the case, whatever the needs are this morning, you will speak to our hearts and you'll help us to walk in the Spirit so that we will not carry out the desires of our flesh. We're running a little late this morning. Let's stand and let's just sing one verse of He leadeth me, O blessed thought. <laughs>